So today I really want to talk about bereavement and mourning. In this journey of the afterlife, it only makes sense that we have a conversation about loss. I think that along with the experience of loneliness, one of the most painful aspects of bereavement is the feeling of loss. A person who we knew, a person who we loved, is gone from sight and from the knowledge that you can make a phone call if you wanted to and speak to them. You can bring up a FaceTime or a Zoom and speak to them. Or you can actually be with them in person. And so after experiencing the death of a loved one, one of the hardest things for people, for us, is is moving forward. And while, but it's not just moving forward because you don't want to, there's this fear of forgetting. Because the natural sequence of events is that we forget. And it's it's a it's a it's a healthy thing. But we're kind of holding back because we don't want to forget. So the question is, or the conversation is, moving forward while harboring the continual sense of loss and not forgetting. And that emptiness, that balancing act can be very overwhelming, very paralyzing. For us in this room, we'll call ourselves the believers. I would believe that the ultimate source of comfort is the knowledge that the void and absence that death leaves behind is only temporary. And I'll explain what I mean. One of the foundational principles of Jewish faith. Now, most of Judaism is all about knowledge, right? We're we're here, we study. We're not into blind faith. But there are 13 principles of faith. And these are the 13 principles that we believe. Everything else, we ask, we question. Oh, we question, right? We don't accept anything at face value. Besides 13 things, because there has to be some level of faith in our lives. One of those foundational principles is a belief. Remember, it's not something that we can really truly understand on an intellectual level. It's a belief, a belief in what is called tichiat hamesim, the resurrection of the dead. We believe that during the Messianic era, the, the Mashiach, the Messiah is one of our 13 principles of faith as well, with a belief in the coming of the Mashiach, belief in a world of peace, a world without suffering. And one of those elements of faith within the belief, in addition to, which means there's a there's 13 principles. One principle is Mashiach. There's another one that has to do with Mashiach, but it's about the resurrection of the dead. That during the Messianic era, as prophesied, that those who are dear and beloved, who have been removed from our life, will return, resurrected. I can go into an entire class on resurrection. I'm not. I'm going to save that for a different time. I will get to it. So that knowledge for a believer is a very powerful knowledge because we never truly say goodbye. Yet, that's very nice. You're going to say, Rabbi, that's wonderful. But how do you cope with the devastating reality on a day-to-day basis? So, this week, in thinking of Chava and her, what she's going through, I, I took a look at some of the Rebbe's writings and some of the Rebbe's teachings on grieving and on death. And in the Rebbe's communication with people who were grieving, the Rebbe would emphasize that 
from a spiritual perspective, the loss of a loved one is not the complete loss that we oftentimes consider it to be. The Rebbe would often, in letters, there's a letter to the former Prime Minister of Israel, Ariel Sharon. In that letter, the Rebbe would cite the words, the traditional consolation words that are spoken to a mourner. When visiting a mourner, we have a traditional uh, statement that we say. It's, it's a fascinating statement, and maybe I'll unpack it a little bit today. It's, Hamakom yinachem etchem betoch sha'ar avele zion b'yerushalayim. I know I don't speak so much Hebrew in this class, so I'll translate it for you because I'm sure your Hebrew is not as good yet, yet. And it means, may the omnipresent comfort you among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. The Rebbe would see in these words a message of how the burden of grief is shared by an entire community. That you're not alone. You're not an isolated person on an island. That we wish you that God should comfort you as all of the Jewish people are being are, are mourning the loss of the temple. Now, in our lives on a day-to-day basis, the temple is not a reality because we're it's been so long, and that's the reality of life as time goes on. So we don't feel that. But for those who lived during the temple era, that loss of the temple was the loss of, of to this day, to this day, there's a tradition that when someone passes away, the first thing the mourner does is they rip a piece of clothing as a, as a physical sign of what's going on inside their heart, to be able to physically show the rip that is going on inside their heart. To this day, many people have a tradition. The first time they go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem to rip a piece of clothing that same way. Because of that loss. But what's incredible about that loss and its connection to personal loss is that it's a communal loss. It's a loss that's experienced by the entire Jewish community and the world. And so we say to the mourner, you're not alone. You're not an isolated person. We comfort you amongst the mourners, the entire community who constantly, every day mourns the loss of Zion and Jerusalem. And the Rebbe would see these words as a message of how the burden, the burden, of grief is collective. In that same letter to Ariel Sharon, the Rebbe touches on two additional messages of consolation. And I, I want to read a piece of a letter to you. I, I let me just I just made a note of it here and I'm gonna bring it up. Give me one second. Here, here's what the Rebbe says. Just as we have complete confidence that God will certainly rebuild the ruins of Zion and Jerusalem, gather the dispersed from Israel from all corners of the world through the righteous Mashiach and bring them joyfully to witness the rejoicing of Zion and Jerusalem, so do we trust that with regarding the loss of the individual mourner, God will fulfill the promise, awake and rejoice, a quote from the prophets, those you who repose in dust. And we will experience true joy when we're all reunited with the future resurrection of the dead. But there's a third point that the Rebbe brings in the letter. Just like with regards to Zion and Jerusalem, the Romans, And before them, the Babylonians were given dominion only over wood and stone, over physical things, over silver and gold, over the physical holy temple. But it's not over the inner spiritual essence. 
felt within the heart of every single human. And it stands eternally. The loss, especially for us, of the physical presence. But it's only a loss of the physical. It's the loss of the wood and stone in temple terms. It's the loss of the silver and gold in temple terms. Not the loss of the spirit. Not the loss of the essence. So when we're mourning an individual, death has dominion only in regard to the physical body. Only in regard to physical aspects of that person who passed away. The soul, the soul is eternal. And the soul is still here. Just simply ascended to the world of truth. But the soul will will never go. So if you want to live in a world through which you can only see and experience what your eyes see, then you're missing so many elements of this world because we also live in a world where we feel what our heart feels and we know what our mind knows. We live in a world where there are so many other dimensions that we can't touch with our physical hands, yet they touch us so deeply. So we often grapple with the fact that we can't touch. But if we're open, we will be touched. That's the beauty of this. I looked at another letter the Rebbe wrote. It was uh, in 1978 to a family in Milan, Italy, who had experienced a death in the family. And the Rebbe writes that, let me just bring it up here. Yeah. The only thing, the Rebbe writes, that an illness or a fatal accident can do is cause a weakening or termination of the bond that holds the body and soul together. Whereupon the soul departs from its temporary abode in this world and returns to its original world of pure spirit in the eternal world. You see, and we've spoken about this, but now let's try to internalize it. What does it mean this world is the world of falsehood and the next world is the world of truth? Think of the difference between falsehood and truth. Think of that difference. If you add to the truth, is it still true? It's false. If you take away from the truth, is it still true? No, it's false. The world of truth is truth. It's constant in every time and every space. That's what truth really is. And so if truth is constant in every time and every space, then truth needs to be constant. The same way it's true here, it's here, it's going to be true in the ethereal, it's going to be true in the spirit, it's going to be true in the existential. That's the same truth. On April 3rd of 1973, the Rebbe gave a public address in honor of his 71st birthday. And totally unbeknownst as to why, the Rebbe started speaking quite movingly about people who had perished in the Holocaust. The Rebbe said, a sword or gun, fire or flood, can only affect the physical body. It can only affect the soul's connection to the body, but never the soul itself. The soul is truth. And if you ask a rational individual, what is the person's essence? 
their body or their soul. This is what the Rebbe asks. What is a person's essence, their body or their soul? With whom are you truly connected? When you connect to a person, are you connected to their physical body or are you connected to their soul? Who's precious to you? Who do you defend? And whose pain alarms you? Anyone will realize. Though our worlds become very physical and we're so, our affection has become physical. True affection is spiritual. It's the soul that we're connected to. And the Rebbe says, what does this tell us? This tells us that the beloved soul with whom one had a connection. And the Rebbe continued, that beloved soul who was sent to the gas chambers in Auschwitz the beloved soul who gave their life just because they were Jewish. The body may have been taken, but the soul will remain, and nobody can take that soul from us. The soul remains the day after Auschwitz, the year after Auschwitz, and the generation after Auschwitz. The soul remains whole into eternity. And this is spoken from a Holocaust survivor, a scholar, a Rebbe. In 1960, a group of college students came to see the Rebbe. And one of the topics that they discussed was the Jewish understanding of death. The Rebbe had asked, had told them they could ask any question they wanted. It was a, today we call it an AMA, ask me anything. The Rebbe said, please ask. And they asked the Rebbe about the Jewish understanding of death. And the Rebbe looked at them and said that the term used in describing death in Judaism is, the Hebrew word is histalkut. This is the word. It's H-I-S-T-A-L-K-U-T, histalkut. And the Rebbe said it doesn't mean Histalkut doesn't mean death in the sense of coming to the end, but rather an elevation from one level to another. And when someone completes their mission in life, the departed person is elevated to a higher plane. So death is not a succession of life. Death describes the process whereby one's spiritual life takes on a new dimension. The Rebbe continued explaining to them that this notion is consistent with the scientific principle of conservation of matter. And I never ever saw anywhere else this connection between death and conservation of matter which says that nothing physical can be annihilated. This table or a piece of iron can be cut up, it can be burned, but in no instance can the matter of the table or the iron be destroyed. It only takes on a different form. So we see that in the physical world, and it's obvious to us because our eyes can see it. And the Rebbe continued, and on a spiritual level, our spiritual being, the soul, can never be destroyed. It only changes its form. It's only elevated to a different plane. And because of that, the Rebbe said to these college students, the term afterlife is actually inappropriate. Because what we experience after death is not after life. It's the continuation of life. Until 120, 
the human lifespan that's mentioned in the Torah. That's why we say 120, by the way. Life is experienced on one level from 121 to 122 and 123 and onward. It's carried on another level. And we, we, the same person, you and me, and those who we love who have departed from us, they continue to ascend higher and higher in the realm of the spirit. They're completely intact. Just not in the same way they were until 120. I'll take some uh, some questions now, if anyone would like to ask anything or make a comment. We'll let you process this a bit. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Rabbi. I, I don't have any questions, just comments. Uh, quite often you mentioned about, uh, you know, the home of the Creator, where it's in our homes, not so much a temple. I believe that our bodies are the temples of the Creator because we have that particle of the Spirit within us. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not exactly sure what you're saying, like what, what, what you're referring to specifically. So where we praise creator, depend, like most people in other religions, they have a church. You explained that in the, the Jewish religion, there is no such thing. It's your home. So I'm going one level deeper and saying that the temple of the creator is within us all. We are the temples ourselves because that spark of light that is part of the creation is, and that soul is within us. Okay. I think I understand. So I know that in various faiths, physical space is very important, right? Uh, the physical location of a particular temple or church or, or, or mosque, it's very important. It's it's an it's a sanctified space. In Judaism, the same way that other faiths elevate and sanctify space, we elevate and sanctify time. Shabbat is a time of the week. No matter what happens, I mean, I never heard anyone saying, "Oh, I'm going to celebrate." Uh, Easter, and it's starting at 4.52 p.m. tonight. The reason why Shabbat, you have to look at the calendar to find out what time to light the candles, what time Shabbat starts, is because it's a sanctification of time. And it's very important to the minute of when it starts, because we're literally making time holy. So think of the way that so many other faiths sanctify temple or space. We, sync, we do exactly the same thing with time. And I think it blends itself so well into this conversation about, about life and the continuation of life. Every single moment is, in a way, is a sanctification of that same way that maybe you would experience it philosophically or even practically in other ways. I hope, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I do. And that makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, 
The next piece is that uh, previously you mentioned the soul after it's departed our body exists for 11 months to 12 months mm-hmm. in our realm. Um, in, 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 in somewhere the, in the middle, not necessarily in, in our in the middle, world. but yeah, yeah, okay, somewhere in the middle. Does that mean that we are able to communicate, or you know, some people say they they have visions or specters or whatever in their life where they see these miraculous things happen when their departed leave because they're leaving messages or they need something clear? Do does that sort of make sense? Because I've I've experienced this myself with the death of people and other people's families where I've seen the spirit so of the person exist. Without, without going into great detail, yes, and one of our traditions, it's a tradition, not a law, a tradition, is not to go to the grave of someone who's passed away for the first year. And one of the reasons for that, there's many reasons for it, but one of the reasons for that is because it's really painful for those who have passed because they can't hug you and they can't be there in the same way they were. So we are very conscious within Judaism to be conscious of those who have passed. And I know that it's it's often about the mourner and that communication brings a lot of solace and comfort to the mourner, but we have to, within our tradition, we're very careful to also be cognizant of those who have passed and the pain that we can cause them or potential pain. Okay. Thank you for that. Cheryl. Thank you, Rabbi. I have two questions. One that goes back to another day, but now it's most appropriate to ask here. And that has to do with the 11 to 12 months of the body separating, excuse me, from the soul and our saying Kaddish helps relieve the pain of the soul. Did I get that right? From their separation. Correct. Okay. So let's say after a year, wherever the soul goes and integrates into his or her new level and maybe connected more with the creator, why do we commemorate yearly and how does that help the soul is it just about remembering their life to know that they lived or does that continue to elevate them in some way so according to our tradition every year the soul will go on the day of the departed this world it will go to a higher realm think of it as a spiral or a ladder and from year to year, so we 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 honor it the same way we honor it in the Kaddish. We say the Kaddish because it's a transition process, and we support that transition process the same way we supported the transition during the eleven months by allowing that soul to rise to a higher level on the day okay. of the birth site on the day of the passing. We also do other things. We give charity. We we study in the memory of those who have passed. We do mitzvahs in their memory. Because that helps after that year, there are things that we can do that helps the elevation of the soul from one level to the next. Right? We want to allow that soul to go up the rungs, so to speak, or the spiral. It's better the spiral, so to speak, to a higher and higher level. And we're in this world, we're able to do that through our deeds. Okay. Thank you. Now I need to piggyback on that with something that I never heard of that you said today. And you said at 120, you go to a different level. So I'm thinking, just thinking, <laughs> my parents would have been in that realm right now. They were born in 1916 and 1917, respectively. So they're pretty close to that 120. They're both deceased. So what happens if I die tomorrow? Am I in a different role in the spiral? Can I not meet them because they're going to be? At a different level. So how does that work? I'm gonna how does I'm, that work? I know, I know. Because we think so linear in our world, I'm gonna piggyback on my answer to Parish. We we the the spirit is not concerned about space. In our world, 
We see things linearly. We see things as space. We see things as time. We don't know anything beyond space and time. If we, if we know something, if, if we try to understand something beyond space and time, we call it infinite. What is infinite? Just not finite. It's not really infinite. There's no word. The reason why we say infinite is because there's no word for the opposite of finite. So we think in terms of like, oh, no, oh no you're going to be uh, so high up the ladder and I won't be able to speak to you because, uh, you know, I, I can't scream that loud. But the spirit is not confined by time and space. So even though it's a realm that is a higher level, it's not. And that's why I said it's a spiral, not a ladder. It's not linear. It's it's we the we after 120 can very easily interact with those and connect with those who have passed grandparents, great grandparents, loved ones who have passed before, because it's not a linear process. Does that explain? That's so comforting. Just so that my parents could like spiral down like a fire pole <laughs> where I am to where I am. Watch out, coming down. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's comforting. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's a great question. And and somebody here asked a question about suicide. I don't want to go into it so much, but yes, it, it, it suicide uh is free choice. But remember, suicide is a free choice in this world. The spirit still lives forever and the spirit is still eternal. Um is there a reason for the purpose of sanctifying time? Yeah, that's what God said. God said that uh, I worked six days and rested on the seventh, and you too sanctify time by resting on the seventh. So the reason why is because it is uh, it it is the way that we mimic God. We mimic the eternal by by sanctifying time. Actually, if you want to really experience that when we light the Shabbat candles and bring in Shabbat on Friday afternoon, we are one step removed from the world and one step closer to the world of truth just for those 25 hours. We actually get an, an, an extra soul. We have two soul. We have, we have two godly souls for those 25 hours. That's why if you tap into it, there's a very, very beautiful, very spiritual energy that experiences on Shabbat. That's why we love it so much. It's not just a random Tuesday or Thursday for that matter. Those our Thursday mornings are not random, in my opinion. And so we have the sensitivity and the ability to, to live a little bit more in a higher plane during those 25 hours and connect more to the, to, to, to the eternal. I want to just, before we go on to the nuggets, I want to just tell you one last story. On, on the evening of December 31st, 1952, there was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Zuber. He was the dean of the rabbinical college in Boston, and he was a rabbi in a very well-known congregation in Roxbury, Massachusetts. He was attacked by muggers, and they beat him so severely that he died. Now, this was a man who had survived Stalinist Russia with his religious integrity intact, only to be murdered in cold blood in the safe haven of the United States. The Rebbe sent representatives from Brooklyn to the funeral and reached out to the family. The Rebbe was very, very taken by this. It was a, it was a, it was, it was a very, obviously it was, very sad and very, very deep incident for the Jewish community living in the United States at the time. A few months later, Hannah Zuber, who was the, the daughter of this Rabbi Zuber, came with her mother to New York for a private audience with the Rebbe. She established a, a warm rapport with the Rebbe and remained in contact with the Rebbe for many years. Tragically, Less than five years after the death of Hannah's father, her mother, the wife of this Rabbi Zuber, Zlata Zuber, suffered a fatal stroke and, and passed away the next day. 
the daughter, this Hana, she's she's devastated. She's utterly devastated. And she requests a private audience with the Rebbe. And in that audience, she tells the Rebbe of the great emotional pain that she was still experiencing. And she says, Rebbe, please, please guide me with how to deal with the grief. The Rebbe said, I'd like to revisit a few of the points that I had made to you and the condolence letter that I sent to you when your mother passed away. This is what the Rebbe said to her. All believers in God believe also in the survival of the soul. Actually, he says this principle has even been discovered in the physical world where science now holds as an absolute truth that nothing in this world can be physically destroyed. Remember that letter that we spoke about about 20 minutes ago? How much more so in the spiritual world, especially in the case of the soul, in which no way can be affected by death of the physical body. The Rebbe acknowledged that the experience when someone when someone near and dear to someone passes away the terrible void that's felt because they can no longer touch or hug or converse with the deceased but if the most important attachment that we have with people we love is to the quality of their soul, including spiritual things like character, like kindness, like goodness. These are all attributes of the soul. Think about that. Character, they're attributes of the soul, not the body. And the loss and devastation will be less acute. So I think we can summarize the Rebbe's view like this. When you love a person, you love what the person is. You love the person's character. You love their personality. And those things can never be destroyed. You don't love the meat of the body. You love who they are. That character, that personality, it lives forever. And my prayer today, and my wish to you today, is that, as King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, the living should take it to heart, that we should take this to heart, and that during our life, we should think of character and kindness, and we should focus on, in our relationships with others, not on those things that are in the world of falsehood, but those things that are in the world of truth. We should celebrate and build and lift up those elements of the soul that are so powerful, that are so real, and that are eternal. And Hashem should bless you, Chava, that you should be comforted with the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem, and that our community here and all of the communities all over and all those who are suffering, that we're not alone. We're not isolated people on an isolated island, that we are here together always. And that when our souls, like in this room, when our souls connect, that we are all here connecting with you and experiencing a little bit of the world of truth and trying to, for a little bit in any way that we can, to elevate your experience and your grief. With that, I will start off with you, Chava, today, and uh, with your nugget and your. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. That, that was very uh, comforting and helpful. And my nugget is gratitude. 
today for everybody here for you, Rabbi, and gratitude for um, the amazing person that my father is um, and the amazing things that he did uh, when he was in his body. So gratitude all the way. Thank you. Cheryl. Thanks, Chava. I really hope this was comforting to you. I'm so glad you you agreed with that. I'm not living through what you're living through right now, but I found it very comforting for future. So I wrote the date on here so I could go back and reference that recording if I need to. Um, my little nugget probably is one of the last things you said that I love that our character, our kindness, and our personality are all part of the soul and can never be destroyed. And I'm just going to take that with me and hope that people remember that about me and that will be my legacy when I leave. So thank you for this class today, everybody. Alessandra, you've been really quiet. Are you there? I am. Ah, yes, yes, I was listening, but I had the, the child sleeping in the bed next to me while I was listening. That's why I was so quiet. Um, thank you, Rabbi, for these uh, side notes, for going out of our way, shall I say, uh, first of all, to comfort Rabbi and to give us a little bit more insight on another piece of the puzzle. Um I, I love the last bit mainly about we should try to connect to somebody's souls and not to the material. And so when when we want to know somebody, we should go deeper into the as uh, Sherry was saying, their character, their 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 main traits of personality that make them unique. And I think that uh that's what I've been trying to do. Uh, not always successfully, obviously. Uh, but I will do better learning every day, I hope. So that's my takeaway for today. And I will pass it on to Jill. Thank you. Um, so many nuggets today, but I think, you know, for me, I'm just grateful to have this community to to do this kind of work, to go deeper, even though we can't physically touch each other, we are touching each other on so many levels. So uh, that's my nugget and thank you. Um, Kelsey. I'm sorry, it always takes me a minute on my phone. Um, that was beautifully said, Jill, and it's good to be back. And I just really appreciate this space to go deeper with everybody. Uh, and it's a safe place to do that. Like, I don't feel odd or weird or like anybody's going to judge me for that. So I really appreciate that about everyone. Um, there's a lot today, but the soul is truth. I really, I don't know, that really touched me on how simple but really profound that is. So that's what I'm going to hold on to for this class. Um, Fami, haven't seen you in a while. Uh, thank you, thank you, Kelsey. So, so I, I, me, what struck me is, is, is when the rabbi like make the connection, uh, make the connection between the the soul. And uh, and the characters and the good characters. So, and if maybe I add something, the good character is connected with the mitzvot. So, if we want to stay connected with the soul, is by making doing our mission and helping. And in the same way, when we are doing our mission, we stay. We let we allow for the for the person who departed to do his mission too. So we are together. We are not alone. This is what I 
So doing the mitzvot not just elevates us, it elevates our beloved ones too. Uh, thank you, dear Rabbi, and uh, it's amazing, actually. Thank you. Uh, so, who is here? Uh, uh, Suzy? Good morning. Can you all hear me? Okay, great. Um, I love everything you said today. It was very comforting and very appropriate. Um, my parents have passed away a long time ago. Um, but I always say that my mother came back to life when I had my children. Because number one, I named one of my daughters after her. And number two, um, I just thought about her so much more. Her parenting, her recipes. I, Because of my children, I light my Shabbos candles every week. And they're her Shabbos candlesticks. And she just came back to life. Um, and, you know, when I was younger, you know, when she had passed away, I was so self-absorbed in my own life. I didn't think about her as often. But I know the rabbis heard me say this so many times because I have the luxury of seeing him regularly at Shul. Um, so this is a repeat for him. But I, I always think about that. And I love what you said, that her character, her personality, her soul is still so alive in my house and in my heart um, because it's just, it's so true. So that, that's what I have to say. That, that's my golden nugget from today. That it's all true. Um, who has not yet spoken? I think, has everybody spoken? Oh, Hafa, have you spoken? Okay. Uh, Julian, I think, has parish. Oh, okay, Julian. You're yeah, in parish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I apologize if I haven't got the words or the concepts completely right because my concentration's not at uh, its best today. But, um, during the whole session, I keep thinking about a particular thing, which is about a year ago, for some reason, I came across or I studied or I attended a lesson where someone was teaching this passage about the temple. And it kept, I hope the language isn't too bad, it kept going on about how great it was and how good it was, and uh, I, don't, I don't know the best language for it, but uh, and the conclusion I came to, the only conclusion I could come to, is that the only thing that could be so good was that if we were all unified and kind of as one spirit, so the unity within the temple was so great as to evoke a memory so highly that even if people forgot what it was that they so cherished it was so cherished because of the value of that unity it was unlike anything anyone had experienced or could experience outside of it and today's class about the the spirit that is still there it made me question that in other words um, they say that the first temple was lost because people went into idolatry. You could say people went astray. They lost who they were or what they were supposed to be doing. But the second temple was lost for a much longer period because of um, causeless hatred, disputes, fighting between people and different factions for no real reason and i thought this is kind of when there's a loss of spirit when the unity is lost so I, i've just kept thinking about the parallels between the temple and the spirit of the departed in other words um where we have you know if someone makes mistakes 
they go away up to 11 months and then they come back. But if someone has fallen out with someone, then it's much longer. It takes much longer. I don't know how to square that with what we've been saying about the, we're still a, a spirit. We're still all, all this spirit. So I, I was still thinking about that. Julian, to add, to add to what you're saying and just to kind of bring it, to kind of bring it together. That's why the personality and the character is so important. Think about, like you said, the power of causeless hatred. That's character. That's an action. It's so well connected to everything we're saying. Thank you for that, for that thought. Parish, did you want to say something before we close? Yeah. So I agree with Julian. So as I explained before, we are an embodiment of the temple that the creator provides us. We are all part of that whole spiritual side of things where we are our souls and our energy are part of that. Now, I understand this was about Hava's passing of her father. Her father's soul and spirit will be here with her. And I, I made some comments that it's probably not appropriate for the Judaism religion to be able to communicate with past souls or people that passed. But there is some empowerment in that, that you can make peace with yourself if there are negative things or thoughts about your parents, your partners, whatever it may be, that you may need to do. Um, it's really weird for me because I have multiple beliefs, but for you, Rabbi, you have empowered me to believe so much in what you're preaching, and I love it. And I also like the different rabbis that will do different contesting to different passages. I think I have some of that in me as well. But I really love today's whole uh situation where we've helped Harvard and hopefully she will have find peace in what we've been taught tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Parish. Thank you, everyone. And uh, once again, we, uh, we, we send our comfort and our condolence to Hava and uh, we hope uh, that through your father's spirit and this class today that we've all been uplifted. So with that, um, I will see you next week, and we will move on to Talmud. Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Beautiful. Bless day. you all. Have, have a good. Have, have a good week. Thank you. See you. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free. For the next 50 people who download it, all you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.